It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation's semi-annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal, too. Schedule a no-obligation in-home estimate now. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Ginger Genuine Draft Show with your host, Ben Natan. Right here on Bleeding Green Nation and BGNRadio.com. Hello, 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 ladies and gentlemen. How are we doing today? It is another episode of Ginger Genuine Draft brought to you by Bleeding Green Nation Radio. I am your host, Ben Natan. It has been a good week. I have moved into my new apartment. I am sitting on my bed that I got yesterday, and Madden came out two days ago, so that's been a big part of my life, and let me just say that the new Madden is outstanding. If you're a big football nerd, you're going to really love the ability to uh, do formation subs and, and, and utilize practice squads and really give yourself a lot of flexibility schematically. You know, I've spent more time in the game, game planning, and doing things with my formations rather than actually playing the game. So it's really it's really a great game for the, the true football nerd who wants to build and, and personalize the football team. So I would strongly suggest you go out and get it uh, if you are able to. But we are here to talk about Pac-12 football. And I think the Pac-12 does not get the rep it deserves. And with the SEC constantly dominating and having all of their draft picks and all of these all-American players and the postseason and obviously they get a they get a good rep but people don't really talk about the Pac-12 in the last four years you've had 14 Pac-12 players go in the top 20 of their respective drafts and six of those players have been on the offensive side of the ball you've had you know, Kyle Long and, and Jared Goff, Marcus Mariota, of course, Nelson Aguilar, Andres Pete, and Brandon Cooks are, you know, talented players who came out of the Pac-12, various schools in the Pac-12, and for those of which have played, they've mostly seen success at the NFL level. Of course, the jury is still out on Nelson Aguilar as to, you know, when he's going to turn it on for the Philadelphia Eagles. But this year is another year I think the Pac-12 is going to be producing some premium talent and some really really quite impressive guys on the offensive side of the ball. And speaking of Nelson Aguilar, it feels like every year we're talking about the new 
USC wide receiver, and <laughs> this year is no different. It's kind of like the whole Alabama running back thing. You know, oh, this Alabama running back is solid or whatever, but the next one, his backup, is even better. And I feel like that's been a thing that's gone on for years and years and years, and it's similar to the to what's going on with USC and their wide receivers. You know, a couple years ago, you had Robert Woods. He went in the second round, and everyone's like, oh, well, you know. Marquise Lee is better, and Marquise Lee eventually did not live up to the hype, and he went in the second round, and it's like, oh, well, you know, Nelson Aguilar is better. And he went in the first round, but he hasn't exactly had a great career to his this point. Of course, he's only had a, a, a rookie season. And this year seems to be no different in terms of, oh, look at the new USC wide receiver, and that receiver is Juju Smith-Schuster, who has been absolutely tremendous for the Trojans in his two years of being there. And what's so impressive about Schuster? You know, Schuster's about 6'2", 220 pounds, very well built, very, very solid athlete. But what's so impressive about him is how technically sound he is. He is such a great route runner. He's so aware in space. He does such a great job of kind of finding that soft spot in a defense and sitting down and working those soft spots in the zones to, to help his quarterback. He has good hands. He releases off the line well. He's very, very physical. And once the ball gets into his hands, he he fights. He's a fighter. He fights for extra yardage. He's going to try to juke ju guys, run through them. He, he's a very mature player. And when I talk about maturity, I talk about him doing things you don't really see college wide receivers doing. You see them at the pros. You see them, you know, guys aren't really doing that stuff until they're 25, 26 years old at the position. It's a hard position to learn. It's a hard position to really adjust to because of the athletes that you're facing at cornerback at the college level, at the NFL level. But when, he, when a player like Schuster possesses that mental upside, that mental sharpness, it's really encouraging, especially considering he's only 19 years old. He's he's going into his junior year at USC, and he's only 19 years old. And the truth is, if he were to go into the draft at the end of his junior season, he would not be turning 21 until the middle of his rookie year in the NFL. That is insanely young for a prospect. And for him to have that mental ability at such a young age while still being able to grow into his body as an athlete, we're talking about a guy who has absolute star power potential. And when you talk about the, the top wide receiver prospects of the last couple years, you know, Amari Cooper, Mike Evans, Sammy Watkins, I think that Schuster is going to really put himself into that conversation this year. I, I, I don't think enough people are really talking about it right now because he's not that flashy athlete that Sammy Watkins was. And he doesn't have that great size that Mike Evans had or, you know, the Alabama name behind him that Amari Cooper had. There's none of that kind of hype, really. I mean, Amari Cooper had the wins. Watkins had the athleticism. Evans had the size and the quarterback. And Schuster's kind of running, running his own show over there. Obviously, USC is talented on the offensive side of the ball, but the quarterback situation has never been so great that he's gotten the attention I think he really deserves as a top-tier wide receiver prospect. And you don't really know what's going to happen with the quarterback position at USC because yeah, every year the USC has like a relatively productive quarterback and he ends up going to the NFL and nothing really happens with him. And 
this year you're going to see Max Brown probably take the reins of quarterback USC. And, of course, Max Brown was a highly recruited quarterback a couple years ago, but he hasn't seen the field really since. And this is going to be his first meaningful set of starts in the college level. So it's kind of hard to think about him as an NFL prospect because you really want him to get some experience in his belt before he ends up going to the NFL. But besides Smith, Schuster, the top prospects for USC are going to be on their offensive line. And it starts with Zach Banner. Zach Banner is Lincoln Kennedy's son. If you're not familiar with Lincoln Kennedy, he was a top 10 pick back in the 90s. Played with the Falcons for a little bit, kind of rejuvenated his career with the Oakland Raiders. Played, I think, for 11 years in the NFL, but good NFL bloodlines. But Zach Banner is fascinating because you look at a guy, and this isn't hyperbole, you look at a guy who's 6'8 and 380 pounds. I'll reiterate that for you. 380, 380, 380 pounds. When you look at a guy that size moving downhill the way that Zach Banner does, you you think that he's created in some sort of video game. There's no way that a behemoth human being like that should be able to move downhill in the in the running game, blocking guys, putting guys on their butt like Zach Banner does. But he does it, and it's just... It's uh, You want to put some kind of cartoon music to it because it doesn't look real. And Banner has this tremendous, tremendous size and these long arms. He's very, very strong. And you think about, oh, this guy could be, this guy could be a top 10 pick. And I think that that potential is really there. I think that there's room for him to become a truly special tackle prospect. But there's something that he needs to fix, and it's his weight you know, at 6'8", obviously you're going to be a heavier player, but 6'8 and 380 pounds, I mean, there's, six, there's guys who are playing in the NFL right now at 6'8", we're about 330. And when you're 380 pounds, what that's really going to affect is it's going to affect your ability to move laterally. And if you're not able to move laterally, it's going to prohibit you from being a very good pass blocker. And you need to have the ability to move laterally to be an offensive tackle. You need to be able to have good balance as an offensive tackle. And when your weight is so high, it really makes it difficult for you to control your own body. And I think that if Banner was losing weight, he got down to, you know, maybe even 360, 350, that 30 pound change of weight is going to do wonders for him. It's going to make him quicker. It's going to make him more balanced. And I think he's just going to be able to be a much more sound player by not putting so much stress on himself in terms of his weight. So Banner has all this potential. He, he looks like a very gifted athlete, but I want to see him play this year at a lighter weight. There are reports that he's gotten down quite a bit in camp, which is really encouraging to hear. So I'm excited to see his natural athleticism combined with a healthier weight for him uh, on the offensive line at left tackle. But he is not the only star of that offensive line. They also have their other tackle, Chad Wheeler. And Chad Wheeler is kind of the inverse, at least in my opinion, kind of the inverse of Zach Banner. Wheeler is not going to blow you away with any of his physical tools. Like, he's he's a good athlete. He's not a great athlete. He's not. He doesn't have this enormous size that kind of blows you away like Banner does. But Wheeler just kind of seems like a very, very solid player. He's very technically sound. 
He's very, very aware. He does a good job in pass protection. He's you know, He fights in the running game. He plays through the whistle. Just kind of that tough, you know, prototypical attitude type of offensive lineman who probably won't get the headlines that Zach Banner will, but I think he's going to have a really, really nice career in the NFL. And USC has some other guys on their offensive line. Uh, their guard, Damian Mama, same kind of situation as Zach Banner. Very good size, very strong. Is going to need to work on cleaning up his technical abilities. But he's progressed every single year that he's been at USC. So I think he's really trending in the right direction. But it's funny when you talk about the Pac-12 you're usually, and you're talking about offensive line, you're usually talking about Stanford, you know, that school up north, big offensive line, loves the power running game, and every year it seems they have a new offensive lineman they're, they're putting into the NFL. At least just this year they had Josh Garnett get selected by the, the 49ers, who is their tremendous guard. But this year, Stanford has maybe the best playmaker in the country. In Christian McCaffrey. And Christian McCaffrey put up 2,000 yards last season. He was a Heisman runner-up. He scored a touchdown receiving, rushing, returning on punts, and returning on kicks. He set the record for all-purpose yards in a season. He is just a human joystick. And you're going to hear a lot of people over the course of next season kind of try to make comparisons for Christian McCaffrey and at least as a college player and this is a little bit of a weird comparison because there are different sizes but Christian McCaffrey honestly reminds me of what would happen if Tavon Austin played running back for most of his career at West Virginia he's just this ability to stop on a dime and redirect without losing any speed and just jetting up the field making guys look silly in space you know McCaffrey is just so dynamic once he gets out into the open people you know people bring up the Reggie Bush thing and personally I don't think he's as strong as Reggie Bush which is not necessarily a bad thing I'm not trying to knock him I think he's really good but he reminds me so much of Tavon Austin. If you go back, you look at Tavon Austin play against Oklahoma. He had almost 350 rushing yards. 350 rushing yards on a 20 carries for a wide receiver. And you, look, you watch that game and you're like, that's his natural position. He should be a running back. And when I watch Christian McCaffrey, who is a running back, and he's touching the ball and he's making those highlight plays, on a fairly regular basis, I, I just can't help but think of Tavon Austin at West Virginia. Because when Tavon Austin got the ball in his hands, be it as a receiver or as a running back, you knew that there was a threat to go to the house. And I think that's why I prefer valuing these dynamic athletes at running back over having them at wide receiver. When you have these guys who are just kind of marvels with the ball in their hand, you're going to be able to maximize that ability as the running back because you're literally going to be forcing touches to them. It's not like wide receiver where first the guy needs to get open and then you need to depend on the quarterback to see him and put the ball right in the right place. Yeah, there's too much There's too much of a process in getting the ball to a wide receiver 
to fully allow some of these guys to exploit their gifts as athletes. But as a running back, you're just putting the ball in their hand. You're putting the ball in their hand and you're putting the ball in their hand 20 times a game. And by doing that, you get to experience the full bandwidth of their ability and you get to experience their upside as a playmaker. And I think Christian McCaffrey really embodies that because of the plays he's able to make as a running back. And also on top of that, what he's able to do as a receiver. He's a very, very gifted receiver, very good route runner, good hands. And then, of course, because he's a running back, as soon as he gets the ball, he's turning up field and he, he looks like he would if he was a running back. And of course, he's a bit bigger than than Tavon Austin. Tavon Austin is you know, 5'8", 180 pounds at, at West Virginia. And McCaffrey is probably you know six foot, maybe 6'1", but 200 pounds. He's a bit light for a guy that big. You would want him to maybe put on a little bit of weight because he's not exactly the strongest guy in the world. And because of that, I'm really worried that some NFL team is going to try to overthink him and turn him into some kind of scat back or even worse. Oh, and this would break my heart. If a team tried to do to him what they did to Toby Gerhart when Toby Gerhart came out of Stanford, Toby Gerhart could have been a really good running back in the NFL. You know, I, I'm a big Pac-12 guy. I watched him at Stanford. I thought he was going to be a star in the NFL. And what happened was he got to Minnesota, and Minnesota bulked him up. Minnesota said, we want you to be a power back, so we're going to put 30 pounds on you. And he was playing for a while at like 250 pounds, and it completely ruined his game because – his game was being a quicker running back at 225 pounds, but they wanted to turn him into a power back, which he really wasn't. That wasn't really his game. That was kind of like a card in his back pocket that he could break out sometimes, but he wasn't a pure power back. But Minnesota tried to do that to him, and it completely spoiled his game. So I would I would have to contact the government or call the police or something like that. If some team drafted Christian McCaffrey and was like, we need you to put on 20 pounds or we need you to put on 25 pounds, let him be the quick playmaker that he is. He will do fine finding yardage at the NFL level as a running back, as a receiver out of the backfield without having to put on any weight. I think the best comparison for him as an NFL player is Brian Westbrook. And Philadelphia fans know how good that is. Great receiver as a running back. Lightning rod, you know, putting the ball in his hands. Can play on kick returns. Can play on punt returns. I think that Christian McCaffrey is one of the best playmakers in the entire country. And come next spring should be a first-round pick. But, but, even though he is so good for Stanford... I would venture to say, and I'm going to catch some heat for this, but I would venture to say that he is not the best running back in the Pac-12. He's not the best running back in the Pac-12 North. I believe that honor goes to Royce Freeman at Oregon. And you're going to say, oh, God, another Oregon running back. Because Oregon running backs are so successful, like Kenyon Barner and LaMichael James and Byron Marshall. So why should we believe that this Royce Freeman guy is better than Christian McCaffrey, who almost won the Heisman last year? Well, let me tell you something. Royce Freeman is so much different than Kenyon Barner. 
He's so much different than LaMichael James. He's really not the type of back that Oregon employs on a regular basis. It's funny to me because Christian McCaffrey seems more like an Oregon running back. And Royce Freeman seems more like a Stanford running back. And Royce is 6'1", 225 pounds, probably up to 230 this season, of just power. He's going to run right through you, and he's going to run for a while. He's powerful, doesn't stop his legs. He runs with his hair on fire. And to go along with that, he's quick, he has speed, and he can catch the football. He's really a complete running back from an NFL draft perspective. He does everything that you really want to. And frankly, when you look at him and you look at Christian McCaffrey, you're really nitpicking. And, and I, that, that's something I think should come up a lot during the season while evaluating all of these running backs because this is a very good running back class. The gaps in between these top running back prospects is really small. And I think it's important that we realize that so nobody gets into their feelings about, oh, Benetton. He said that Christian McCaffrey wasn't as good as Royce Freeman. He said that Leonard Fournette wasn't as good as Nick Chubb. Look, it's a small gap. I'm not saying these guys are horrible. I honestly think that most of them are going to be top 40 picks or at least top 40 talents. So it really comes down to the nitty-gritty things that maybe an evaluator prefers. And when I look at Royce Freeman, I see a guy who's more than fast enough, has the speed to break away from defenses, is quick for 230 pounds, but most importantly, does a great job powering through guys. He's a creative runner by all means. It's not like you really just kind of, it's not like, you have to shoot him off in one direction, and that's really all he's going. He can he can create at the first, second, third level of a defense. But he has the power to really just go right through defenders. And because of how fast he is, he doesn't really lose speed in doing that. And that's a pretty special trait for a running back to have. And last year was a weird year for Oregon football because they were transitioning from having Marcus Mariota for three years, and they had Vernon Adams. So they needed to really depend on the running game to keep their offense stable while their quarterback was trying to figure everything out and get comfortable in the situation. And this year is going to be even bigger because they're bringing in, they don't even know really who their quarterback's going to be yet. And I promise you it's not going to be someone who's as good as Marcus Mariota, and I, I don't even think it's going to be someone as good as Vernon Adams. So there's going to be a lot of leaning on the running game this year. So I think that Royce Freeman is a sneaky, sneaky pick to lead the Pac-12 in rushing because of how big of a role I think he's going to have with Oregon. And because of that, if he's able to do that, I think the people are going to really start having to take him seriously as a top running back prospect because that is exactly what he is. So the back 12 has a lot of guys, a lot of guys on the offensive side of the ball, but those, those are really the players who deserve the most highlighting. And I want to kind of go away from college football just for a second. We're going to talk more about the pack 12 next week, but I want to talk about something a little bit more serious. You know, in the, in the last 10 days, uh, the Eagles made a trade for, Doriel Green Beckham, and I was very critical of it. 
I had a very emotional response to it because I am very critical of the NFL's continued ignorance or the NFL's continued lack of caring about transgressions regarding domestic violence. And I have always been very vocal about this. I was vocal when the, the Eagles traded for Doyle Green Beckham. I was vocal when the Eagles drafted Jalen Mills, who was involved in a domestic violence incident a couple years ago. And I was very vocal when the Cowboys enabled Greg Hardy for an entire season after all this evidence came out about Greg Hardy terrorizing uh, this poor woman. And it's something I, I'm consistent in and something I'm going to continue to be consistent in because people need to be vocal about this stuff. And the Giants, who reside in the Eagles division, are going through a similar thing right now where their kicker was accused and implicated in from what I read into as a heinous domestic violence incident. The league responded to this implication with a one-game suspension. The Giants responded to the situation by re-signing the kicker. People wonder why... women don't want to bring these things to the courtroom. People wonder why the charges get dropped. People wonder why these guys aren't going to prison. Let me tell you, the reason that this isn't talked about enough and the reason the victims of these crimes aren't as vocal as maybe they want to be is because they're consistently seeing men not only get off for their crimes, but then get rewarded. They get resigned. They get signed by the Cowboys. They get traded to a new team for a fresh start. You know, the second chances for these people are endless. And you wonder why women are so afraid and why domestic violence is so underreported in this country. And that is why. Because it is so clear to them to women, how little the system actually cares about them and how little the NFL cares about them. And of course, the NFL is not the law. But let me tell you, if somebody in any other profession got implicated in some of the garbage that these players are getting implicated in, they would be fired. They would be blacklisted from that profession. But here in the NFL, they get re-signed. They get traded to new teams. They get drafted. So a female fan watching Josh Brown kick a field goal or Doriel Green Beckham catch a touchdown has to ask herself if she wants to cheer for that player because it's so clear that that presence of the player speaks to the fact that the NFL doesn't really care about women. It's horrendous. 
It's disgusting, and it's not going to get better unless people start talking about it more. And when the Giants come out and they basically say they don't care, you know, oh, we looked into it and, and we, we didn't see any totally damning information. There's a whole police report. And it was clear that the woman was terrified. And she dropped the charges because of the repercussions that all of these women face when they try to go through with these, with, with these court cases. We turn the women into the bad guy during these cases because, oh, you know, they got our player to suspend it. It's horrible. And it's, it's not just in sports, but sports are a way for us to kind of look at society in a mirror. You know, it's our escape from society. And because it's our escape from society, we let shit fly in sports. And by doing that and by saying that, oh, it's okay for an athlete, it then says to us, okay, then it's okay for us too. And it's this vicious cycle of just allowing this stuff happening in different spheres of society and not saying anything. And then it just keeps on happening more. So the Giants, who apparently like to hold themselves to a higher standard than the rest of the league, are complete hypocrites and they're complete cowards. The ownership, the front office, and the coaching staff for enabling and rewarding a player, Josh Brown, for his horrific actions. And I want people to know that this isn't just you know, oh, me just bagging on the Eagles because all Ben does is bag on the Eagles. No, this is something that I've been very vocal about for all teams. And something I've been very vocal about outside of the NFL. Because sometimes you have to realize that this is bigger than sports. And of course, I want to be able to enjoy football. I want to be able to enjoy sports. I've loved football since I was a child. But just because you enjoy something doesn't mean you turn a blind eye to the bad crap that happens inside of it. So I'm asking you, Eagles fans, I'm asking you, whoever listens to this podcast, just be a little bit more vocal in your daily life about this stuff. Just because it doesn't happen to you or because it's happening in something that you don't really, you know, people don't watch sports to think about social politics. And I get that. But just because it's happening in sports shouldn't preclude you from not talking about it. Because I promise you, that there are people who want to talk about it but are too afraid to be vocal because of the repercussions that the that those who are vocal about the violence against them what the, those repercussions that those people suffer you know we punish in this country we punish victims of domestic violence more than we punish the actual domestic abusers and that needs to stop we're going to continue with the Pac-12 next week, talking about the defensive side of the ball. I'm sorry that the show had to get so serious, but the truth is it needs to be talked about in some capacity. I'm Ben Natan. This is Ginger Genuine Draft, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>